stuff going on today. It's pretty exciting. Um, first thing, we want to uh, introduce um, a newlywed couple in our church. Um, you know what? We should have them stand. Al, Diane, why don't you guys stand? They, uh, they just got married Friday night, and uh, they are inviting everybody to have cake after service. And uh, cake is always a good option for pretty much anything. So, um, And I do want to encourage, you know, this is, this is how the body of Christ works. Um, I want to encourage some of you couples that have, have been married a few years, like three, four, five years or something like that. If you can come alongside Al and Diane <laughs> and... Um, you know, just share your wisdom. The first two or three years are difficult, and some of you have experience now. So we, w- we want you to help them out with this, right? Um, even some of you that have been married maybe as long as 10 years, you can really help these, uh, these first few years with this. So, um, so you're welcome to join us. Some, so uh, also after church, uh, Brian and Aspirin are going to be doing a uh, little gender reveal thing. Um, I don't think they wanted to know. Where are they? Are they in here? They, I don't think they wanted to know the um, gender, right? You guys didn't want to know, but oops. Okay. So we don't care about all that. We just know that uh, they're going to do this after service. So it's exciting. It's cool, right? This is good stuff. So here is, um, <clears throat> here is some great information. We are done with all of that out there. We have our sewer and our water, and it's finished. Now we get to do this cool little thing called build a building, which we've been trying to do for so long. So, so we actually have the business meeting. Rather than to, to talk about all of this um, over these next couple weeks, I'll say a little bit of stuff. But we've got our business meeting coming up Wednesday after next. This is going to be the best opportunity to, to, to vet this and talk about this and figure out. We've got to look at the finances. This cost us more because of all of the weird problems we run into. Um, so, so we'll have all the finances done for you, what, what we owe on this part, and then what the next step is, what are the next few months, and uh, actually starting the construction on the building, because we want to get that started it's, you know, as soon as we can now. And so we'll try to let you know um, all of that stuff too. A um, couple little things that, that jumped out at me in the uh, news this week. I, I do want to say this, and I know this sounds like a weird way to approach this, because I am very much you know, against... Russia invading Ukraine, okay? I know that there's some bio labs and some stuff in Ukraine. I've heard people say, well, then, you know, they should have invaded them. I don't think that's a true thing. But, but I will say this. You've heard me say this for a long time, so this, isn't, this is a consistent with my thought process. This, this is my concern is why is CNN, all of the mainstream media, why is Hollywood, why is all of the liberal side of our country so strongly in the tank for Ukraine, which I am for Ukraine. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there are reasons, and they don't do anything accidentally, coincidentally. There could be some virtual sig- virtue signaling going on here. That'll wear down in the next week or two. If we see this continuing, keep your eyes open because there's more than we're seeing. There's more to this. You just always have to keep your eyes open to this. If CNN is for it, be careful. Because it's a lie. And so just, just think, keep your eyes open, pay attention, that kind of thing. And here's what I've been saying for months. So, so this isn't an I told you so. It can be. In my heart it is. But I won't make, say it out loud. But, but I, I've been saying Russia was going to invade Ukraine. I've been saying that a long time. And they're going to take all of Ukraine, and then they're going to start working on some of those uh, smaller NATO countries. Okay. So I constantly the question, is this, um, is this the battle... Um, uh, Ezekiel 37, 38. And I, and I get constantly, anytime something happens, people email me, text me, is this end time events? Is it? Well, everything potentially is end time event because we're getting closer to the end time. Um, even if the end time is a thousand years from now, which I don't believe it is, but there's still, tomorrow will be closer to that than today. Okay? But I really believe we're, we're closely coming into the end times kind of thing. But is this the battle in Ezekiel 37, 38? Well, here's the answer. Here's a simple answer to that always. Doesn't matter what Russia does until Russia unites with Iran and begins to head down toward the northern part of Israel. That's when it potentially can be 
um, the Gog and Magog and Persia battle uh, in Ezekiel 37:38. So you have to you have to keep that. I mean, and those and that is something that is going to happen before the tribulation. So so those are guidelines. Until that happens, we're not at the tribulation. We're not this, you know, we're not at the mark of the beast, we're not at the Antichrist, we're not at any of that stuff yet. Because why? Because there are things that are specifically mentioned in scripture that has to happen. Right? Um, here's another one to process. This is out of uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Is um, um, the word just left me? Damascus has to be completely uh, destroyed. Well, that has never happened in history, and so we're still waiting on some of these things to happen. So just kind of keep this in mind. And because I haven't mentioned anything about COVID and the vaccine for a while, um, I thought I'd give you a shot of that today. Hey. <laughs> So, <clears throat> I just read this this week. This came from the uh, Epoch Times, came from the UK Daily Mail. Um, uh, Israel had some of the same study statistics they are using. But basically, they're saying right now that 90% of all COVID deaths, people have the vaccine. 90% of all the deaths of COVID are people that are vaccinated. Let's keep that in mind. All right. Now, we're going to do something that was a lot of fun. I need to have the, the whole Henniger clan come join me up here on the stage. Is this it? Well, yeah, we get Neely's in here too. Hey, buddy, what's up? Hi, girls. So I always have to say this because this has just always been cool to me. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna dedicate little Barrett here this morning. But years ago, uh, late 1980s, I was in high school in Dallas, and a, and a friend of mine that went to my church was dating a girl from another church that went to a different high school across town. That's Asher's older sister. I met her. I knew her. She was a friend of Linda's. Um, and I met her little brother one time just from stuff we were doing that was like six or five. That was Asher. <laughs> then one day, I find out that the Neelys know the Hennigers and are good friends with them. And then later, Asher and Amanda, who kind of grew up around each other, all of a sudden, saw each other differently. <laughs> and uh, then started popping out kids. So, <laughs> so I'm going to do something different that I'm, I'm going to start doing. This is the first time I've done this. And uh, this is going to be what we do now for baby dedications. Okay? This is um, a bag of marbles. And uh, we, this, is, this is how this works. There are different colored marbles in here. And there's like 930 or something marbles in this bag, okay? This is the amount of um, weeks in an 18-year-old's life. So every week, they're going to take out a marble, and they're going to put it in a little jar, and they're going to pray for uh, Barrett in this. And then there's different colors for, like, birthdays and, and um, certain birthdays along the way, different things that happen throughout the calendar. There's different colored marbles. And they take these marbles out, and they put them in the jar, and they pray for Barrett over, over each one of these marbles. And then when he turns 18, um, I guess he has no marbles left. I don't know how that works. <laughs> he's, lost, he's lost all of his marbles. Which, which, by the way, having three children have turned 18 in my life, that's actually a true statement. So, so the other day, Barrett was up here. He was hanging out. Amanda was doing some stuff. And uh, he came by my office. They were leaving. He came by my office, and he looked at my office. He said, bye, Paul. I was like, okay, I'll respond to that. I... So, so in Psalms, we see where um, a child is arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. I just had this conversation a long time yesterday at the election stuff with these people that were talking about 
where we're going as a society and everything. And I said, here's part of the thing is parents are no longer pointing arrows, uh, their children at targets. We're no longer pointing them at Jesus Christ. We're no longer pointing them at morality and, and, uh, and integrity and character and those kind of things. Well, Amanda and Asher are parents that will do that. We know that. And, and grandparents and older brothers. And he, he has a, a brother that they are my age in high school. They're actually, I think they're like 20, 30 years older. But, but we went to high school at the same time. These, this is, these are two families that believe in this strongly, pointing their children at God. Guys, this is what we have to do. These children are, are literally a gift that God has given us that we cannot take for granted. Now, sometimes you get overwhelmed, you get tired, frustrated, all that kind of stuff. But this is the greatest gift that anybody could get, ever be given. That's an amazing gift. So we're going to give the marbles. One of you girls want to carry the marbles? Can you do this? No? You don't think so? All right. So you're going to make sure she does the marble thing? And then we have other things. We've got a little Bible, um, Barrett's first Bible, and a card in there. And uh, what we want to do with the... Uh, you want to take this? No, you guys are, who are the kids that I see regularly? Um, and your first Bible in there, and that's so that we, we want to be the first people to give them a little New Testament so that like when Barrett's 16, he comes up, I can say to him, Barrett, I gave you your first Bible. Your parents didn't. They didn't care enough. But I do. So, and... And a nice little thing he probably is wanting to get on his wall as soon as possible. <laughs> you like that? Barrett, do you mind if I hold you? Can I hold you? Do you mind? All right. Let's do this, bro. We're going to pray. I know it. Shh, don't know. Look at everybody out there. Wave at them. <laughs> They're all waving at you. They all did it. <laughs> all right, if everybody would stand. You guys know that when we're saying we're pointing a child at the Lord, that we're not actually, like, this isn't his salvation or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, if you really think about it, we're not actually dedicating Barrett. We're dedicating mom and dad. Mom and dad are the ones who are saying, I'm going to raise this child in God. I'm going to commit this. The scriptures that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them about God as I'm coming in the house and going out of the house, when I'm standing up and sitting down. That's, we're dedicating mom and dad's what we're doing. And then the rest of the family, because they're tagging along. So, so let's pray. God, I thank you so much. For Amanda and Asher, I thank you for these, all three of these kids, and I thank you for little Barrett here, Lord God. You have, you have blessed them with, with a beautiful child. Lord, and we ask you to, to keep in their hearts, deep in their hearts, that they are pointing little Barrett at you. We're never going to compromise on that. And Lord, I pray for his church family here, that when he's a teenager walking around, that we won't be picking on him, but we'll be lifting him up and praying for him. And that God, you'll do amazing big things with Barrett. We know this. We pray all this for your glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, buddy, see you. <clears throat> there was one other thing I was going to mention. Um, yesterday was the El Paso County Assembly, and in the assembly, um, I, I, for, unless, unless you're newer and you haven't known this, I have been running for um, state representative, House District 15. Um, I'm a pretty seasoned veteran, veteran of this now. It's like two weeks. So, um, In the assembly yesterday, I got enough delegate votes that it eliminated the other two opponents that I have. <clears throat> and so basically what this means is I am the only person for a state representative in this district to be on the primary ballot, which means I don't, obviously I'm, I won that one. And, uh, and we're going into the general election in November. Um, be praying about this. This is a very strong conservative district. So, so um, it, it, it's almost kind of a, a done deal, but that's never the case. Uh, when you're voting. So, um, so just be praying about this. And people have asked me, how can we help? And uh, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, like I said, we've been doing this two weeks. We, we, people were walking up to us yesterday, and, we, you know, we had a table. And they were saying, do you have stickers? And I'm like, 
we didn't know you, we didn't know stickers were a thing. <clears throat> and then they walk up, do you have any business cards? Ah, oh, Linda, we need to get business cards. We got to. And then people are walking up, um, can we donate to your campaign? Oh, I need to open a bank account. Um, so, so while we're a little behind on some stuff, uh, God has really given us favor uh, in this in just a powerful way. And, and uh, Linda was literally working on the website. I don't think it's done yet, but she was working on the website yesterday while we were uh, doing all of this. And so thanks for everybody that showed up yesterday and supported and did things. And guys, it, it really does mean a lot. And, and I, I had some people, well, I've had this many times over the last few weeks, and this is, this is segueing into what I want to talk about this morning, that have come up to me and, and been, like, very, very appreciative that, I, that I'm running, which has really caught me off guard a little bit. I didn't know that there would be that much excitement. And then the percentage of vote I got yesterday, it was overwhelming. I, um, it, I mean, I, I took the whole thing, and so... I mean, and then they're telling me, thank you for running, doing all this kind of thing. And this is what gets me, is I know that I'm, I'm being elected into a position at the state level that will, that will give me, um, you know, a, a broader range of, of um, authority and definitely responsibility. But, but here's what I always think about when, when people come up and are saying this, and specifically delegates have come up and said this. I would not be elected to this position unless delegates took their responsibility to do what they're supposed to do. Right? Many of you in our church have become delegates now. I'm excited for that. I'm still a little frustrated that none of you are in my district. I could have used some of that. But, but, uh, but he, here's what I think. I think we do this, as human beings, I think we do this to our detriment, is we, we take people that are in positions, and I'm in a position, I'm in a position of pastoring that has some um, visibility and has some uh, influence in people's lives. And we say, oh, well, those are the guys that are, that are you know, they're doing the good things. They're really, and, and I think what we do is we diminish the, the reality, which is we all are very vital to the kingdom of God, and we all are very um, influential. You are a lot more influential than you know. And I've been, I've been kind of hammering away at this for quite a few months now, but you, you are much more um, influential, and you have a lot more ability and influence than you, than you, I think then you'll ever know. I think when you step into eternity, you're going to go, wow. Two things. You're going to be overwhelmed with how much God did use you, and then you're going to be overwhelmed with how much you didn't get used because of you. I think both of those things are going to be happening at the same time. And so here's what I want to push into your world a little bit is you really are, you really are, a, uh, and I'm going to be talking about the being light this morning, you really are a, a much brighter light than you think you are. And... You can even be brighter than that. You have more influence than you, than you know. You, you affect people. You're constantly affecting people without knowing it. And you can even affect more people if you really be, be more intentional. That's, that's what it takes is to be more intentional. And, and, and we've got to get this or we've got to embrace this at some particular level. Psalms chapter 139 <clears throat> Verse 7, he says, I can never, this is, this is uh, David talking, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Although we try, don't we? We try to get away from his presence. We try to, to, to get away from him whispering into our ear and guiding us and leading us and tell us to step out over here or do this. And it's just so much easier to not, right? It's, it's, um, it's easier just to do our life and the, the way that we want to do it. I, I, was, um, I was laying in bed last night, laid, and, and I'm just thinking, you know, all this yesterday was just a, yesterday changed my whole life in ways I don't even know yet, right? And uh, in fact, as we were getting ready to leave, some people were standing around, some delegates and, and uh, people and and, uh, and they said, wow, you guys, where, what are you going to do to go celebrate? I looked over at Linda and I'm like, we, we didn't even know we are supposed to have a party. We're not doing anything right. So we went to dinner with our kids. And I felt like they kind of made fun of me some through that too. So. But the idea that... that um, that God has a plan for you. I'm laying in bed last night, and I said, okay. And I began to pray this for myself, but then I began to pray it for you too. Lord, we're on a journey. 
and you're driving. So take the wheel. Let's do this. I don't even know what this is. Guys, when you get to the point where you think that this is your journey that you're in charge of, you're hurting yourself. I, I know I pick on this, but the, you see the bumper stickers, God is my co-pilot. I want to I drive up beside him, roll down the window and shout, that's why your plane is crashing. Because he's the co-pilot and you're trying to be the pilot. Get out of the pilot seat. Get all the way in the back of the plane. You don't even need to be up front. You don't even need to see the instrument panel. Just, just crawl in the back of the plane and say, God, take me where I am supposed to be going with you. But that's not the way we think. Our, our very American individualistic mentality, we're, we're in charge. This is my life. This is my existence. These are my rights. I, I get frustrated when I hear Christians talk about their rights. I, that, that's not how Scripture talks about this stuff. But to say, God, you're the, you're the one in charge. This is your life. You're driving this thing. I'm just, I'm just trying to be who you want me to be. I'm along for the ride, God. You point and tell me to go do that, and you point and tell me to go do that, and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I was praying that for me, and then I began to pray it for all of us. God, take our church. Take every, every person in our church. Take the steering wheel out of their hands, and you start driving this thing. As we think we can hide from God, we think we can do our thing, we think we can, that we can get away from him. And we try to do that sometimes. But look how he says it again. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. <clears throat> if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Do you see the relationship that David had with God coming out in this, this verbiage? That it's not just God, you are all-knowing. This is relational. And God, through all of this, you're supporting me. You're carrying me. Right? I, I, you know, the, this, the, so I see things in humor this way. But the, uh, the poem that, that people have put on their walls for years and talked about that it's anonymous, the author, we don't know who the author is, but the footsteps in the sand, you know, two sets of footprints, and then, and then there's just one, and the, and, they, and the person says, well, why is there only one set of footprints over there? And that's where it says, well, God's, that's where God tells us, that's where I, I carried you. And I've seen newer renditions of that, which I really like. And it says, well, what are those two marks over there? Well, that's where I drug you. That resonates deep in my spirit. I'm like, yeah, I get that. Um, that. This is, God is actually trying to support us. I know we don't think like that. But God is trying to support us. He's trying to carry us. He's trying to, to, to open the, the amazingness of who he is and use us and do stuff. And, and sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. And, and sometimes we just resist that. And And... And David is getting this. He says, if I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. Look at this. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. Why? Why can we not hide from God in the darkness? Now, we know it kind of intuitively, but, but process this. God created everything. God is not um, part of that except what he wants to be. He does not have to be part of of this creation with us at all. I, I've said this for years. I think that one of the most amazing things that God does for us is tell us that he's there. He didn't have to do that. He wasn't under no obligation. He didn't have to walk with Adam and Eve. This is the central part of the story. It's us. We're the center focus of this. That, that he didn't have to interact with us. He could have just told us he's there, but he didn't have to interact with us. And then he interacts with us, but he didn't have to give us the Bible, but he did. And you go right down the line with all this stuff. He didn't have to give us opportunities and, and forgiveness and chances after chance. After, he didn't have to do any of that stuff, but he did, and he's still doing it. Because he's not, he's not limited to that when, when When it says that, that God created everything, it says that there was nothing, and then he created. There was absolutely nothing. And then on the second day, he creates light, right? 
There was nothing, and then he created light. You understand the concept of how we perceive light and darkness uh, visually, but then also spiritually, that stuff didn't exist. It wasn't, and God is not limited to that. He does not, he's not obligated to step into to time. He created time. Time didn't exist. He tells us that in Genesis 1. He tells us when he creates time. And he says, and he called it night and day. And then a couple days after he created light, he then creates the sun. That is, that is one of the biggest things. Years ago, when I really began studying the Bible, it's one of the first things that jumped out at me, and I thought, huh, God's not limited to this stuff. He didn't have to make the sun. Tell that to a scientist. You, do, you just lock their world up. The sun doesn't have to, well, how are we going to have photosynthesis? How are you going to have revolutions of that? Linda told me the other day, right, we, were, we were talking about this, and, and I said something about um, the, the, whether this is going to happen or not. And she said, well, doesn't the sun go around the earth? And I said, no. <laughs> she sat there and she said, well, don't the planets go around the sun? And I said, yeah. She said, same thing. These are the conversations I have sometimes. I'm just like, so. You know what she told me this morning? Just while we're on the subject. Normally, I iron my shirts, and uh, she was rushing me this morning. And so uh, she grabbed my shirt, and she said, I said, this is the one I'm going to wear. And so she grabbed it, and she was ironing it. And then she said, um, are you going to wear a jacket with this? I said, yeah. And she said, you know you're dedicating a child this morning. I was like, so? And you're going to wear that shirt? You know, that stuff hurts. He says, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. God is not limited to light and darkness. He's outside it. He's so much bigger. He's so much more amazing. He's not limited. Now, here's even, here's even a cooler thing. To you, the night shines as bright as day, and darkness and light are the same to you. But we think somehow that we can hide in the darkness. We can hide in darkness of our creation. We can hide in, in literally physical darkness. This was the first time that I kind of thought about darkness and I, and I still think about this. This, is, this pops into my mind even nowadays today. But I was nine years old, and um, our family had just moved uh, nearby El Paso. We lived right on the Texas border between El Paso, Texas, and Las Cruces, New Mexico. And uh, so we went to Carlsbad Caverns and uh, visited Carlsbad. And then after that, anytime somebody came and saw us, we always visited Carlsbad Caverns and White Sands. And I visited them so many times, I began to hate White Sands and Carlsbad Caverns. But... But this was the very first time we ever went. And they did a couple of things back in those days that, that, it, that they stopped a few years after that because after we kept going, they weren't doing this anymore. But, but um, <clears throat> first they had tour guides. They don't do tour guides. They haven't done tour guides for 30 years. But they had tour guides when we first started going. And then eventually they got these little walkie-talkie things, right, that you listen to. And if you haven't ever been to Carlsbad Caverns, uh, it's amazing. It really is amazing. It's uh, it's just amazing caverns underground and the, and the up, uppies and the downies and all the different things that uh, geologists know the name of. And so, and, uh, so, so we're walking through the cave. And, 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 okay, so I'm nine years old, and they're telling us there's a little asphalt path about this wide most of the way through there. And they're talking about all the things and stuff. And then they say, now look over here. You'll see that there is, um, it looks like just a rock ground. This is offside the path. And they said, but, but a lot of times that that, that is um, just a thin crust. And if you step out on that, it, you, it would crack and you would fall through. Now, looking back now, I'm sure they meant you would fall through to like two feet. That's not what I heard. As a nine-year-old heard, you're going to fall forever <laughs> if you step on that cracky ground. And you would just, I would still be falling today. 
That's what I heard. And so then we're walking up farther, and there's this, there's this uh, little pond. They've got lights down in the bottom of it shining. And you're looking at it, and they're like, don't touch the water because the skin, the oils from your skin will destroy the uppies and the downies. And so, so I don't know. I don't know all this stuff. But I'm looking into this, and it, it's about this deep. And, you, and you, you, know, you reach in and touch the bottom. It's maybe your arm distance. And then they explained to us, they said, because of the, the, the clearness of the water and because of the, there's no things in the water, that, that pond right there is actually 25 feet deep. But you can't tell that. It plays a trick on your mind. What I heard was, if you fall in that, you will sink forever. Okay? And then they do this thing, and this is where it got me is we, we come into this big cavern. It's like a basketball stadium. It's massive. We come into this cavern, and they say, we're, and they stopped doing this about two or three years after that. But they said, we're going to come to this cavern, we're going to show you something. We're going to turn off all the lights, stay on the path. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you'll fall forever. So, so then they turn off the lights, and something happened. When the lights went off, I immediately became scared to death that I was going to fall off the path. Now, it's this wide. I don't fall off a path that wide. I, I've proven this stuff over time with people, that um, you take the size of a curb that you're walking on, and you draw that with chalk on regular ground, and almost everybody can walk on that between those lines and not get outside those lines and not fall down. Do the same thing, put them on a curb this high, and some people can no longer walk that same space of distance. They could before, but now that you raise it this height, something in their brain switches and they can no longer walk on that. You raise it up about six feet and you're going to eliminate most of society from being able to walk on the exact same space. Okay? Now, here is why. is because our brain begins to tell us stuff. It's not the reality of walking. Well, when she turned those lights off in that room, immediately I started kneeling down and feeling the ground because I didn't want to fall off a path this wide. Because the darkness began to change my perception of everything that was going on. Fear began to creep in. I began to really uh, underestimate my ability to do something I had been doing the entire morning. In that cave, I began to be trapped within my own existence and my own mind, my own life. And this is what I have found with humanity, is the moment darkness starts taking over, it changes everything. It changes our perception, changes. We begin to feel trapped. We begin to feel controlled. And here's a reality for many people. And guys, these are people you come up across every single day of your life. There are people that are in darkness that do not know how to get out of it. When she turned off those lights, I had no idea what to do next. And I could not get myself out of that situation. And then she does this amazing little thing. She has a lighter. She's about 20 people up. And uh, she t- flips this lighter on, and, and it lights up this entire cavern. This is, this is the size of a basketball stadium. But even the very far reaches of this place, the light got to it. It didn't make it brightly illuminated. It wasn't like daylight in there. But all of a sudden, from one little lighter, you could see the entire cavern. The the people that are truly in darkness, the only thing they have to see to get out is just turn a light on somewhere. And they can head for that light. But this is where sometimes... They're standing right beside somebody that's a light, but the person never turns themselves onto them, never talk to them, any of that kind of stuff. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, this is, a, this is just a visual to process. They're standing in light. They're standing with God, all this stuff. And basically, Satan comes and opens a door, and through that doorway is nothing but darkness. And they voluntarily choose to walk into the darkness rather than stay in the light. When Satan said, you'll know both good and evil, he was actually telling the truth. They already knew all of the good, though. The only thing that, was being, that Satan was adding was the evil. 
They walked into darkness. Guys, as human beings, we still struggle in that darkness if we don't see Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, The Word gave life to everything that was created. This is Jesus. He's part of creation. He was, he was the one that spoke that light into existence in day two and the sun into existence on day four. Jesus did that. Now, now look at the rest of this. His life brought light to everyone. Not everyone steps into it. Not everyone sees it. Not everyone accepts it or embraces it. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. And here's just an amazing, powerful theological statement that he makes, and sometimes we just don't see it. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, the Greek, and if you go to King James, you'll have a little bit different perspective of this, but um, King James says, but the, but the darkness doesn't comprehend it, I think is the way that King James says it. But in the Greek, this would be the, like the way to say this. It, it, the extinguish is not a bad word, but it's not complete. And, and comprehend it's not a bad word, but it's not complete. This is really a, a, the way you could explain it, the way it could be said. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot understand it or comprehend it, therefore it can't extinguish it. Jesus is light that is so transcendent that it goes beyond the scope of even Satan. And he's going to try to cut it, uh, shut it out. He's going to try to extinguish it, but he does not have the ability. And it's not just because Jesus, is light, Jesus, the light of the world, is more powerful than Satan, although that's a legitimate argument. It's because Jesus, as the light, is so much more powerful and so much more, more majestic and light within itself that Satan can't even understand it to even know how to try to begin to extinguish it. It's too big for Satan. And here is what Jesus says to us, that if we let Jesus be in our life, we become the light. He's shining through us. This is a light that Satan cannot even understand or extinguish, and Jesus will shine that through our existence. Now, that's what people see us or know us. It's not like, you know, moths come to light. It's not, it's not like people come to us, although they come to us to get to Jesus. That's, how, that's, that's why Scripture says that, that uh, how are they going to hear unless we tell them? I get so frustrated with this gospel mentality that says, churches preach us all the time. Well, just live as light around them, and they'll know. I, you can be standing right beside somebody that is in complete darkness, and they are not going to know you're the light unless you tell them. They're going to know things are different about you and that you kind of spark every now and then. It seems a little different. But until you explain to them why, why do you think this way? Why are you different? What has Jesus done for you? Because that's what makes you different. It's not just because you go to a church and have good moral values. It's because Jesus Christ has covered you with his blood and transformed you, forgiven you, changed you. That's the point. And you've got to be able to verbalize that so they know. This is, this is what I believe that, that, we, that we, we, we keep this trapped so much. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. This is after the Beatitudes. Jesus is, is on the uh, mount there on the side of uh, Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and, he's, and he's, he's going down through the Beatitudes. But this is a much, this is a very, very long discourse that he has with all these people that are sitting there. And then he gets, then he gets to um, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is, is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's worthless. I didn't understand this for a long time. How, does, how can salt lose its flavor? I, I, I really didn't. And then we started coming out with all this new stuff nowadays, sea salt and pink salt and all this other stuff. And uh, that stuff can lose its flavor quickly. It's because it's not real. It's frou-frou. Stop believing the lies. But, but here's the concept. Have you, I know you've heard ex, explanations of this, but let me, let me throw this out here. That salt preserves meat and all that kind of stuff. We understand that salt preserves a lot of stuff. But here's what salt does. Is it, is it keeps, it, like a piece of meat, it keeps it from corrupting. But that's what salt does is it keeps, it keeps from the rot setting in. The rot's there and it's waiting, but salt 
stops that. And then he says, you're salt. But what happens if you, if you lose your saltiness? What happens if you lose this ability? See, here's, here's what I think has been happening for a very long time in the church, is we take stands against the things that we're supposed to, right? The church is supposed to fight against abortion, right? We know that because that's a little baby. But we don't really fight so much against um, promiscuity, Without promiscuity, abortion would not be an issue. You see what I'm saying? We, we, we take a stand against the, the invasion into our schools of the LGBTQ, the transgender stuff. Um, we, we, we take a stand against that stuff, and we say, no, that's not gonna, you're not going to indoctrinate my child with that. Let me give the parenthetical that we should add sometimes, probably often, that we should add to the end of this. You're not going to infiltrate my child with that. I will do that at home with my own TV. I don't need your help, public education. I will pay money to go to a movie to be entertained by that. And I'll even take my kids. Guys, it's like we're salting the meat over here, but we're not doing anything to it over here. And the rot and corruption is coming in and taking over the whole thing, but we're looking at this little part and going, I've preserved it. It's all preserved. What about all of it? We've been doing this for a long time in the church. We play these spiritual games. Where we stand against some things, but we don't really stand against all the stuff. And, and here's, the, here's the question that I ask people regularly. Because all these, you know, with, with all the additional, like Netflix and all that kind of stuff, you can watch just about anything you want, any time you want, right? And, there's, and I'll just use this one partly because I haven't seen it, so therefore I'm not guilty. You guys are. So, <laughs> so we watch shows like Games of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. And I ask people, how bad does a show have to get before you turn it off? How many F-bombs, how much nudity, perversion, how much homosexuality? How bad does it get before you have to turn it off? And I'm seriously asking that question. Ask yourself that. How bad does it have to get before you say, I'm just going to have to turn it off? I've told you guys this before. My wife is the police in our family. And I'm not saying in our marriage. I'm saying in all of our family. And I've been sitting in a movie before, and it comes on the screen. She says, no, I don't think so. No. And I'm like, Linda, sit down. I'm not done with my popcorn. (laughs) Which is why I go to movies. He says, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop. And not, cannot be hidden. I've heard a lot of people describe our church as that, and I think it's a great description. We're on a hill here, and we're the light on the hilltop. Because you understand that a building can't be the light on the hilltop. It's you. It's me. We're the light on the hilltop. He says, you're the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, so how can we be the light too? Because when Jesus lives within us, he shines through us. This, this, there was an there was a old um, Edgar Allan Poe story that, man, it just always caught my attention. In fact, sometimes today, without trying to, I think about this. This, this guy was going to this kill this guy in this room, and so he has this lamp, and they have these little slats on this lamp, and he's going to open one slat at a time, open the door, and see if the guy is asleep before he comes in and kills him, right? But the guy has an, an eye that won't close. I'm probably getting some of this wrong, but so he opens the slat, it hits that guy's eye, you know, and, he's, and, that light go, and he thought the guy was awake, and then he realized the guy wasn't awake. So, I, so sometimes this even messes with me tonight, at night. I'll be laying in bed, and I'll be like, what was that? And I open one eye, but I open both just in case the slat is on this one, and I got it closed. They're not catching me off guard. <laughs> and that's how I think about the, this, this light. I think about it with those slats that opens. And I think sometimes as that lamp, all of our slats are closed. So the light, which was intended to get out, it's not getting out. He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. What is a lamp for? 
Some of you are like, well, it depends on the color. No, let's go back before what we look at now. A lamp had one purpose, light. That was it. It was light. Why are, why are, what is our purpose? Light. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. He just said you're a light on a hillside. Your purpose is to light. Don't put under a basket. What is putting it under a basket? Keeping the light from getting out. Whatever, whatever visual you have to have, a basket, whatever, it is keeping the light from getting out. That's what the basket does. Take the basket off, light gets out. We're supposed to be getting the light out. We're supposed to be talking, telling, living it out so that people know Jesus is their hope. Jesus is their hope. I made this statement a couple of times in some of the rallies that I spoke at this last week and, and in my, um, in my uh, speech that I did yesterday. I mentioned this, and I know this, this throws some people off, specifically like hardcore conservative um, politician-type people. But I told them, I said, one of my responsibilities I see is when I go to, to Denver, to the state capitol, is I'm not just going there to go into the darkness and fight the darkness. I am going in there to bring people out of the darkness and bring them into the light. And I said this to a room full of Republicans. I said, my, my goal is to go across the aisle, not to agree on legislation. I don't really care about that. I'm not going to agree on legislation. I'm going to disagree just because I'm a conservative. But I, my goal is to go across the aisle, witness to those people, and turn them into conservatives. Not, not for the reason of politics. That will be a thing that will happen. But it's because they are a soul in darkness. In the darkness of, of murdering babies and the perversion of life and all this. I'm going to go into that and tell them, there is this, there is this guy named Jesus it can change everything about you. That's lifting that slat up and shining that light. As that we, we do so many things, and I know it's for comfort reasons and a bunch of reasons, to, to, to put the basket on top so that, so that the light doesn't happen. I, I, I've thought about it. I've, I've been in public places before. This has happened to me many times over the years. You're in a public place. You see somebody, and there was some friends or something else, and you walk up, hey, how are you guys doing? And then they say, oh, and they say to their friend, oh, let me introduce you to my pastor. And their friend will say, you go to church? I've, I've had that happen many times. And, and it might, my, I try to, you know, be, you know, but my first instinct is, do you go to church? It'd be the same thing as you showing up at the, um, at the, at the uh, company Christmas party after you've been working there for 15 years. You walk up and you introduce, hey, this is my wife. And they say, you're married? Think about that. If your spouse, at that point, you walk away and say, um, I'll change the locks. You'll have to figure that out when you get home. That's what you say. You're married? See, we do this to God. We, we keep the slats closed. Well, how long can you keep the slats closed before there's no reason to even call yourself a light anymore? Think about this. Are we a light? When people see you, how do they see this? Are you a light? Verse 16, the same way let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Judges 6, this is how I think Gideon approached this, and I think this is how we have to approach this. In verse 25, <clears throat> Judges 6. So the opening um, few um, chapters here are when the Lord comes to Gideon. So, so the Israelites had not been serving God, and God let the Midianites come in and attack them. They didn't want God to be in charge. Why should he push the issue? And so they, the Midianites came in, and they were taking all the crops. They were killing them, uh, raping their wives, all this kind of stuff. And then God comes to, the Lord comes to, Jesus comes to Gideon and says, you know, the mighty man of valor, I'm going to, and, and this is right after that, okay? Gideon goes and makes a dinner, takes all day long, goes and makes this dinner, brings it to the Lord, and, and he said, this is, you know, this is my offering for you, and, I was, and the Lord just lights it on fire. I've always found that to be funny. Been working on that. At, at, at that point, I'd be like, you're not even going to taste it? Verse 25. That night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Now Gideon's herd, his father's herd. The one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal, not his altar, his father's altar, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. 
Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this place, this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using the fuel, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. That there's a big spiritual context to that. Just to throw this out here, the, the things that you're worshiping, the things that you're bowing your life to, when you really sell out to Jesus Christ, you're going to have to burn that stuff to the ground on the altar of serving Jesus Christ. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to tear down some stuff. And we don't preach that much in the church nowadays. But guys, when, you, when we really sell out to Jesus Christ, you're going to have to burn some stuff in your life to the ground so that it will never exist again. Instead of keeping that Asherah pole up there, which, by the way, if you walk through the Old Testament, just, just do this little, this little word study. Look up every time it talks about the high places. Because they would say they sell out to God, but they didn't get rid of the high places. That's the altars to Baal. That's the altars to Ashereth. Those are the, the, the cult places. And they would serve God, the kings. They would do all this stuff, but they wouldn't tear down the high places. It says that over and over in Scripture, and it always comes back to destroy them. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid. I get that. Let's, I, I pick on Gideon for this sometimes, but let's give him credit. He did it. He did it. He was scared, but he did it. And he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of town. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir... Look at how it says this. Someone discovered that the altar of Baal, of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built on where the remains of the bull had been sacrificed. Do you realize that it wasn't just his dad's altar? And Asherah pole, it was the city's altar. The city's Asherah pole. The people said, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search... Well, they just asked the 10 people that helped him. They learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. I, I think that there are times in our life all the time, and I think this has become more and more and more, where you have to stand up and say, not on my watch. I stand for God, and I stand against the stuff that Satan is trying to destroy us with. I stand against the, 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 the sin and the lies and the evil and all this stuff. Satan is trying to destroy us, and I will not let it happen. I take a stand. So here's how we do this. The first thing, pray God will help me be the light. You've got to pray that for yourself. God, you don't just assume that it's going to happen. Well, I'm a Christian, so I'm light. Well, you could have a basket over this light. Pray, Lord, help me be the light. Not just, not just think or assume that I am a light, but help me be this. In other words, to shine. Help me shine. Help me to stand in the middle of darkness and, and let people see. The purpose of light is so that people can see. Help, help people see that you're Lord and Savior over my life. Remember, Jesus doesn't make you to light to draw people to you. This is what gets churches and pastors in trouble. This is one of the major reasons that pastors have moral failures is because they have so many people that are being drawn to them because of the light of Jesus that they confuse that and think they are the source of this. And they're not. Jesus is trying to draw people too. If you, if, just as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, I will draw men to me, Jesus said. Not to you. You're the lifter-upper, but you're not the... The, the source, we're, we're supposed to be the light of Jesus. So this, as, as uh, John said in, in verse 14 of chapter 1, that Jesus took on human flesh to, to reveal the glory of God so that people can see God. That's the point of this. You shine so that people can see Jesus, not so they can see you. You're just, you're just the source. I mean, you're just the, the, the visual. You're not the source. So pray, Lord, help me be light. Second thing, internalize God's word. Psalms 119, we know this, verse 11, I've hidden, my, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's how you combat sin. That's how you combat lies is you bring truth into your existence. You constantly have to be studying truth and reading truth. This is one of the basic, you know, I, I don't talk about this enough. But this is one of the basic reasons why you read the Bible. It's not just for the information about God that we get, but it's because it is a living thing that is truth. It is truth. The more truth you absorb, the more you are a person of truth. 
This is, why, this is why churches all over the nation couldn't see two years ago when this pandemic started. They couldn't see past the lies of the government and all of this, this uh, COVID stuff and, and, and all of the, the medical advice and the vaccines and everything. This is why most people could not see. I'm saying church people and churches couldn't see it because we don't have enough of truth in our life to recognize truth when it happens. We are so infiltrated by so much of the darkness and lies that we are so easily deceived by the next lie. You, do, you separate yourself from the lies, which is the stuff of the world, and you, and, you, and you get in the presence of God with his word, and you'll begin to recognize truth. It happens because it's in you. It's part of you. It's your existence. It's all this stuff. And here's the... the The last piece of that, number three, be the light and the power of the Holy Spirit. The way that you lock the word in your heart is not just by memorizing it. People can memorize the Bible all day long and still not serve Jesus Christ. I've talked about this before. Um, Stalin memorized the entire New Testament. Did you know that? He could start anywhere. You could just say a word like, like right here in Ephesians 10. You can say the, the word strong, and he can start right there, quote to the end, come right back around and quote right back to that point and stop. This is the guy that eradicated Christianity from Russia. Think about that. We've got to have the Holy Spirit igniting and empowering this life. We've got to have those Acts 2 moments. We've got to see the importance of the 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 um, existence in our church. We've got to have the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 6, verse 10. And a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not just knowledge, but power. Power of the Holy Spirit. This is how we do this. Why don't you stand with me? I'd like us to give you an opportunity to be prayed for. For some of you, this is... This is resonating in your spirit. Some of you may be, uh, you know, to to the scale of, I don't have Jesus in my life at all. I need that light. To somewhere around, I'm walking in the light every day, but the Lord is working on me that I need to be um, relit or something. I don't know how to, you figure that out for yourself. But somewhere along that scale, and and we need to let people pray for us about this. God, make me that light. Ignite me. I'm saying you're specifically sensing the Lord saying that to you right now. I need to to be that light. I need to stand and be that light. So I want to put some feet to it and um, and have you come down front. I want to pray for you first. And and then to come down front, and we're we're just going to line up along the front. We're just going to have people come pray. God, ignite them with your light. Let that be. Maybe, maybe you've kind of been wanting to witness to that person at work, but you, but you haven't quite got there, and the Holy Spirit's saying, but we can do this. I'm going to light that light right now. Okay, Lord, open our spirit with this. Lord, open our hearts. Jesus, you are the transcendent light. You're, you're lighting up the universe beyond what we could ever even imagine. Lord, you said that we could let, we could open our heart and let you enter into our existence and then shine that brightness through us to others. So, Lord, help us to be the light this morning. Stir us, convict us, push us, motivate us to be that light. If that's you and you're saying, I need this, I need to be prayed for this morning, need to be this light. I want to be this light. And wherever on that scale, I'd like you to step out and come down front. As you're doing that, kind of move up toward the front because we do want people to pray for you.
am going to wait because I know in my spirit there's many more of you that are ready to step out. You just haven't done it yet. You know I don't normally push that, but I'm going to wait because I, I think this could be a moment that God really does something beyond what you expected. to figure this out, but I'll help you get there quicker. If you're standing there right now going, should I go down, should I not go down? The answer is you should. If you're having that debate in your head, it's because the Holy Spirit's working on you. It's not, it's not me. It's not even you. The Holy Spirit's working on you. <clears throat> All right, so we want to invite some people to pray with these down here. So if you'd like to, why don't you come stand behind them. We're going to pray for them, with them. And uh, here is the, um, here's the trap, the trick. All you people that just came down to pray, you have to also pray for yourself. You came down down under collusion, but it's okay. I tricked you. And here's the other side of it. Everybody standing out there, you have to pray the same thing. Lord, that you do the big stuff, right? Lord, make us light. Let's pray. Lord, for all of these up here, God, for all of them that are praying for somebody, Lord, for everybody in this building, Lord, you stir our hearts. Lord, help us to believe first that we truly can be this light, this example. Lord, help us to see this, to embrace this, to get this, Lord God. Lord, that every person in this room would recognize right now that they have so much influence. They're not using even a small part of what you could do with this. Lord, open our minds and our spirits. Help us to see kind of that glimpse of your light. And then, Lord, help us to, to open our spirit and our mind and let this light shine to other people. Lord, you have given us truth. You have given us your word. You've given us your gospel. Lord, I am covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. I am saved, and I belong to God the Father. Lord, help me to share that light with other people. In Jesus' name. You're the everything, God. Help us to see it. Help us to recognize it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Just like you did in Acts 2. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to, to begin walking in the power of the Holy Spirit more than we ever have before. Lord, help us to pray in your spirit. Lord, because you're the, you're the key, you're the transcendent one, and you've invited us into this kingdom. God, help us to declare it. Lord, I pray that we, as a body, that we will stand against sin and that we will truly be salt. First, you salt our life, Lord God. And then help us to be that in society. In Jesus' name. God, and I pray that this week, that this very week, that you give us opportunities to see, to, to see that we are light. Give us opportunities to step out in that in faith, to do or say something that, that, that changes somebody. God, help us to see how you're using us. 
Help us to see new opportunities we hadn't seen before. And Lord, make us who you desire us to be. And God, and I pray this over every person here. Lord, we're on the journey. So take the wheel, Lord God, and take us where you want. Take us where you want. In Jesus' name. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Take the opportunity. Tell somebody about Jesus. Take the opportunity. to Be amazed at what God can do through that. Be amazed at what he can do. So um, we've got some cake to be eaten. we got some gender to be revealing. And uh, definitely go by and say hello to Barrett and... Um, Congratulate him on his dedication this morning. He'll be very excited about that. And uh, we will see you guys Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.